0: Can all have a seat? And it's so good to worship with you guys. Thank you all for leading us. And uh, I'm excited. This week we jump back into our upper room series. So we're gonna. I'm excited to open the the Bible together with you guys. Open the Word of God and look at um, some of these passages. So if you have your Bible, open to John chapter 16. If you don't, don't worry. I'm going to be putting it on the screen um, for all of us. And we're going to jump right back in here. What I'm excited about is we are and this summer been digging into this one section of scripture, John 13 to 17. Just this one section where Jesus, um, before he died, before he offered himself for his people, before he um, rose again and everything, he gathered his disciples together and just helped them process, this is what it will look like in this time. Um, as I get ready to, to offer myself for you and leave, this is what it will look like. And uh, man, it's been so good for me to look at this. So, Let's just dive into this. Jesus gives us, I think, a, um, some... I, I love this section. I love this section, and I love what he gives us to think about here. So this is in John 16. I'm going to start in verse 16 here. We'll read a few verses. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to you? He uh, says to us, a little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And... Because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Okay, what a place to end it, right? The disciples, what does he mean? We don't know what he's talking about. And I feel like sometimes the disciples make themselves really relatable, and this is one of those times, okay? You know when you're like reading your Bible and you're like, Okay, I think I should know what this is about, but like sometimes that moment of honesty, okay, what is going on here? Okay, so the disciples voiced it, none of you had to, okay? And, um, and here's what I think. As a writer, this suction is tricky for me because I feel, it feels so clunky to me, you know? How many times does he say a little while and a little while and a little while and a little while? And they're asking about what the little while. It's just like he's going all around it. And, um, and here, here's what I think. If we were to stop and just say, okay, um, what does he mean by uh, in a little while and you will not see me? And then a little while and you will see me? I think we're all pretty great theologians and can come up with a pretty good answer for that. But I think the fact that John is writing this, he's re- recounting what Jesus said here in the disciples, the fact that he repeats it so many times, the fact that he brings our attention back to it so many times, he's trying to draw us into a deeper experience and a deeper pondering with the concept of a little while and then a little while, okay? So let me, let me just put, put it out there. This is the easiest answer I can give. What is he talking about here, okay? This is my answer to the disciples when they're wondering this. Um, Jesus said, a little while and you won't see me. Okay, the disciples don't know this, but we know. What's about to happen to Jesus? He's going to get up from this table, from this meal together. He's going to be betrayed. Um, Judas is going to come and kiss him, betray him. Jesus is going to go and he's going to be led into this trial where there's going to be false accusations and Jesus is going to be put to death on Friday night. This is Thursday night that we're in this gathering here. Friday night, he's going to be put to death, um, crucified, killed as a criminal, He's going to be buried in the ground by Friday night. So within, within 24 hours of him speaking these words, he's going to be dead. Now, they're not going to see him, right, when he's dead and when he's in the grave, okay? So a little while, and you'll see me no longer, okay? But again a little while, and you will see me, okay? What's going to happen? What do the disciples not know, but it's coming after that is Sunday morning, Easter Sunday. Jesus resurrects, and he's alive again, and he's back and they see him again. And so on the surface, man, this is so easy to just pinpoint, okay, this is what's happening. Jesus is going to die, and he's going to rise again. But I think we're being invited to ponder this and to to, to wrestle with this concept. And I've loved this week wrestling with this concept of a little while, and you'll see me. uh, You won't see me in a little while, and then you'll see me again. What that does is it invites us into a way of thinking about life and about how it works and what does it mean to follow Jesus because there is this this, this tension between a little while you won't see me, a little while you'll see me again. Because here's one of the commentators I was reading this week, C.K. Barrett, he talks about how there's a intentional, a careful ambiguity in the way this is worded because we can look at the death of Jesus and the resurrection. But what happens then after Jesus resurrects? What does he do? He's already promised he's going to do this He goes away. He goes to the Father. There's the ascension. He returns. And so he's in heaven with the Father, right? And then a little while longer, and this is definitely stretching the use of the word little while, right? It's been a couple thousand years now. A little while longer, and he's going to return. He's going to come back and be with us again. And so you can see it kind of works in both settings. A little while, Jesus will be in the grave. A little while yet again, and he'll be resurrected. And we can look at the age that we're in now. A little while, he's going to go and be with the Father, and he's going to be gone we've already talked about, he sent his spirit to be with us and to be present with us and empower us, but then a little while longer, and he's coming back again. And I think it's that tension, this, this idea of living in that second little while, as we wait for the Lord, as things are, are hard, and we'd like to see him, we'd like to have him direct us, we'd like things to be settled and sorted out in life. It's that second little while that I want to lean into this morning, and I think that's what this passage is inviting us to lean into together. And so let's go look at the next couple verses and see how does Jesus answer this? How does he explain it? Verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me? And again a little while and you will see me? It's amazing how much they love saying this, huh? Uh, Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. So this is good and it's beautiful, but also I want us to wrestle with this fact. This is hard. What Jesus says actually right here is hard, okay? So if, if we take Jesus' words seriously here and we ask, what does Jesus want us to expect daily life to look like? What is he saying? It's going to be sorrowful. It's going to be hard. You're going to lament, Okay, This is not like the uplifting, positive, encouraging message that Jesus is giving to us. These are some hard words that he says. You should expect sorrows in your life. You will lament. And of course, he does say your sorrow will give way to joy, but he's um, getting us, he's he's setting our expectations in such a way that we're going to see there's going to be sorrow, there's going to be lament. Now, we live in a Christian culture, in in a culture in our world in general, where um, there is, like, we are told to expect, taught to expect um, that things are going to be great all the time, okay? Scroll anyone's Instagram feed and life is great all the time, okay? If you, were, if you only lived on Instagram, you would look and see everybody in this world is having a phenomenal time and I'm just still the only one sitting over here depressed and sad and, you know, wishing that I had money for a vacation and all those kinds of things, right? There's something that's missing in the midst of all of that. And, um, and so it's like our culture as a whole, in our religious culture too, leads us to expect things, is, things are gonna be great, right? The Christian life is all up into the right, right? It's just getting better all the time and you're growing deeper in your relationship with God and you're reading scripture and you're just seeing... Wow, this speaks to me all the time. I'm so happy. And you're singing worship songs spontaneously as you drive everywhere. And just life is so good and happy and full and you're being blessed and your children are so obedient and everything is phenomenal. Church life, everyone's there for each other and great and everything. That's, I think, what we have been taught to expect in life. But I, what I've been thinking this week is how in the world, like what, what in the world has ever led us to think that that's the way that it should be? Jesus never promises things like that. In fact, Jesus goes out of his way often to say things like this. You will have sorrow in this world. You will lament, and of course there's joy coming, but you will lament, and you'll sit in it, and we have a a world, we live in a world that kind of makes us think it's going to be great, or we kind of get gaslighted a little bit. Like, we're made to feel crazy for being the ones that are hurting and aren't feeling great all the time, and so we have to sit here and wrestle with Jesus saying, hey, a little while you won't see me. You're going to have sorrow. You're going to have lament, um, you're going to be hurting. But a little while later, you will experience joy. So I think we have to be careful to kind of wrestle with that tension. And and I I, I wanted like us to take this seriously for a second and say, do you experience that tension? Like is, are there things in your life right now that you are, that are worth lamenting in your life right now? I, I would imagine the answer is yes, across the board, okay? There are things in our lives that are worth lamenting. What we often do is we carry on, we push on a little further, we try to go a little farther, we try to ignore the pain or the doubt or the questions that we feel, and we try to push ourselves a little bit further. And look, all of it's okay. We've got to do what we've got to do to keep moving, right? But I think this is the invitation. This concept of a little while, I think, is co- calling us and offering us this opportunity to say, it is okay to sit and to lament, and so what, what's broken? What's hurting in your life right now? Are you, are you lamenting like, the loss of your life and your society in the way that it was a couple of years ago? I kind of am, right? It still kind of hurts. Things are still kind of different. Things are still pretty broken. Um, are, are you, do you ever sit there and think, okay, this is what I would like my relationship with God to look like, but this is what I'm experiencing right now. I'm often there. I mean, there's times where like, man, I feel so close to the Lord. My worship of him is phenomenal. I feel so connected. I'll read the Bible and I'm getting insights, but there's so many times where that's just not the case. And sometimes that little while looks like seasons or years and it lasts and it goes on. Do you ever feel like you're the only one that has questions about your faith and how could God do this or that or allow this or that to happen? Do you feel like you're the only one? That that, that is worth lamenting. It's worth sitting in and saying man, I, I'm not always confident that all things are gonna work together for good for those that love God, right? I'm not always confident that this world is gonna play out in the way that it should where justice is ultimately served and grace is given to those who are hurting. I'm not always, um, I'm not always strong in battling against the cynicism of our age, both inside and outside the church and the, the depression that's out there and the weight of everything that's on me. We need times to just say, as Jesus promised, you're going to have sorrow in this world. You will lament in this world. And to allow ourselves to sit in that at times and acknowledge, you know what? When we ask each other, you know, I, I can ask all of you week by week, like, how are you doing? And almost always, you guys are always going to say, doing good, doing good, you know? And really, we're not, right? Sometimes we are. Sometimes that's the happy face we time, on, But often we are not good. And it's okay to acknowledge that, especially before the Lord. This, I, I, was, I was thinking about this this week, man. I was thinking about just a few chapters earlier. We haven't looked at this, but John 11. John 11 is Jesus, and he is, um, he, he's got his f- three friends, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're, they're siblings, okay? And Lazarus is sick, okay? And so Jesus is called in. They let Jesus know, Lazarus is sick. Come and help him. Jesus has power to heal. Would you come and heal him? Would you come and help him? And so he's called to come in, help Lazarus, talk to him, um, heal him. And Jesus doesn't come right away. He doesn't come quickly enough. And so by the time he gets there to where Lazarus is, Lazarus has already died, okay? And so the scene that Jesus comes to is not of a sick man. It's of a man who's dead, and there's all these people grieving, okay? Now, the spoiler is Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's going to be alive again within a few verses' time. But what we see is Jesus comes in, and he sees everybody grieving, and he sees Lazarus dead. And Jesus loves Lazarus because he's a friend. And Jesus is there, and what does Jesus do? It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Can anyone tell me, what does Jesus do? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus, wept. Jesus who is just about to raise Lazarus from the dead, comes and sees the pain and the hurt, and he cries, he laments, he mourns the loss of his friend. He validates the grief of everyone that's there, and he expresses his own grief at the situation. And then Jesus, a little while later, comes in and raises Lazarus from the dead. So I think if Jesus is able to lament and cry and weep when something in this life is broken, then I think we need to be careful to say we ought to as well, right? We can't be more Christ-like than Christ, right? Like if we feel like it's godly to never mourn or cry, Jesus did, so that's okay. That's for us to do as well, okay? And so to, to process, Jesus never trivializes our human experiences, and there's so much that hurts, you know? And in in this season especially, man, there's just been so much that just feels like, little losses, little changes, little tweaks, little relationship changes. Um, School looks different, and life works different, and work looks different. and Everything just feels off. And so we've had all these little seasons where there's been these deaths. And it's not an up and to the right thing. It's a roller coaster that we're on, where life is good, and then life is awful. And then life can be good again, right? But then it's awful again. And we ride this wave. I think Jesus is inviting us here A little while, and you won't see me. And a little while, and you'll see me again. In the the broadness of that statement, I think he's inviting us to sit for a while in the pain. Sit for a while in the hurt. Sit for a while in the loss. And here's how he invites us to look at this. Um, I think this is brilliant, and I think it's intimidating. Verse 21, this is how he invites us to think about this concept. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish, for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So, okay, I, I was thinking about this. If you want to terrify a man, tell him that the Christian life is a lot like a woman in labor, okay? Um <laughs> Ladies, you should know, we don't know anything. We are willing to acknowledge. We don't know anything about what childbirth feels like, but we are terrified of it, okay? We're very glad that that was something that was delegated to you all. It is a terrifying thought. And so for the fact that Jesus is like, okay, what's the Christian life like? Oh, it's like a woman going into labor, you know, giving birth. That is a terrifying, crazy thought. We don't want to touch that. We don't want anything to do with it. But here's how Jesus lays it out, okay? Men, Men, we would rather just kind of like stand next to the Christian life and hold her hand and tell her that everything's going to be okay and, uh, and wait till the birth happens, okay? But here we are, and there's, this is like, shouldn't be a surprise. It's like anguish. It's like childbirth. It's like pain. It's like pressure. It's like all this like, build up and everything else, and there's something good ultimately coming, we know, um, but we're not there yet. And so the question for us is, man, what, what was it that made us think the Christian life was going to be great? What, what was it in the Bible that we saw that made us think, okay, everything's going to be great? Um, it's not like childbirth. It's just like having a happy life. Nothing in our experience. And so the question is, if it's like that, which one of the two, I think this is Jesus' point, which one of the two is a bigger deal? Um, the childbirth, the labor, or the life of the child that grows up and lives this joyful life? Which one is a bigger deal? Okay, now, I'm on thin ice here, but I'm going to say... The life of the kid is the bigger deal, okay? Now, if I asked a woman in labor, she would probably look at this one and say, this is a way bigger thing. What am I doing here? This is awful. But the big picture is there's joy, right? Because there's birth and there's a baby and you can think of that moment of holding your child for the first time and you can also think of every moment from there as this child grows and develops a personality, right? And makes these choices and contributes to society and all these things. There's a big picture joy that's coming into the world and the pain is for a little while. Now, I would never say that to a woman in labor. Hey, don't, don't complain. It's just for a little while. It's going to be fine, right? No, but I think Jesus is stepping back and giving us perspective and saying, yes, it hurts. Yes, you're going to have sorrow. Yes, it's going to be hard work, but it's for a little while. And then the joy comes, the joy of experiencing this baby born, the, the joy of just seeing this whole thing. Now, Life is often like this. It's, it's wrestling through these times of it's difficult, it's hard, and we're called to just hang in there. I, I saw someone on Twitter saying, um, being an adult is basically saying, yeah, but you know, in a couple of weeks, my schedule is really going to settle down. Saying that over and over again until the day that you die, basically, right? That's how we all feel. Like, life's a little crazy right now, but just a couple of weeks, we're going to be fine And we go through life like this. I think that's kind of what Jesus is saying. It's like a little while, hang in there, just a little while longer, a little while longer, accept that man, there's so much joy at the end of it all, and there's joy even in between. Because I think what, what is this, this birth analogy is huge because what is being born? Like, what is the labor? What is being born into the midst of the world? Ultimately, it's God's new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that we are, anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And so what's being born? It's something new and big and important that God is wanting to do in this world. And we are the first fruits of that. We are being born. We're part of this new creation that God is making in the midst of this world. And we can see it spring up. We experience the joy of that, um, but not fully yet. And so Jesus says, you will have sorrow, but, but then again, you will have, your sorrow will turn into joy. And, uh, man, that is such a great picture. I'll see you again. Your hearts will rejoice. No one will take your joy from you. It's a joy, ultimately, that we get that's untouchable. It's the goal of the whole thing. It's it's there. It's beautiful, and we're headed for it, and I love that. Okay, life is hard. We can lament it, okay? But here's the promise, is that it's heading somewhere great. It's heading somewhere joyful, and Christ is with us in the midst of it. Now, he's going to offer us some help in the midst of it, okay? So it's not just... Hang in there, labor away, and eventually things will get good. No, he's going to offer us some help. And so this is down in verse 23 here. He says, "...in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full." So in all of that discussion, in all of that, there is this call to, okay, it's like giving birth and there's this joy that's coming, but it's going to hurt for now. But he's saying, in the meantime, here's some advice. As you're in labor and as you're experiencing this sorrow, here's what you do. You ask the father for help because he wants to help you because he loves you, okay? So going with that birth analogy, I remember with with, um, Abigail, my oldest, when she was born, that was the whole thing. When Claire was born, um, my wife, Laura, is like just like this amazing, strong person who didn't know she was in labor, okay? She was at a doctor's appointment. It's like, oh, you're laboring. Oh, okay, I guess let's get the baby out, right? Now, we had learned first pregnancy with Abigail. We had learned that epidurals are really good, okay? We were like many of you that were like, no, let's do it natural. It's so much better, right? And then the time came where it was like, no, give me the medicine. Like, we need, to, we need help with this, right? So when Claire came, it was very clear from the beginning, like, we're not even going to mess with that. Just give me the pain meds and we're going like, to have this baby as pleasantly as we possibly can. The problem is, Laura was, um, we called for the epidural, the, the anesthesiologist was there and she was like powering through labor so fast that they said, I'm sorry, we don't have time to give you this epidural. And so I looked into the eyes of Laura, the panic-stricken eyes of Laura. <laughs> and um, for the first and only time in our marriage, I lied directly to her face and said, you're going to be fine. You can do this. It's going to be great. <clears throat> And I think she was over it because she had Claire in like 20 minutes or something. Like it was so fast. She was just phenomenal with it. Um, but there's a case where like this is hard and she asked for help. And what are these um, doctors and, and her husband who's powerless also would say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. You're just going to have to do this on your own. Jesus is saying something totally different than that, right? This is going to be hard. You're going to have sorrow. You're going to lament. But ask the Father and he will help you. And what's crazy about this is this is now the fourth time In the four chapters we've looked at so far, the fourth time that Jesus has said a a version of this statement, ask the father and he will give you what you've asked for, right? If you ask him anything in my name, then he's going to give it to you. And I think those are crazy statements for Jesus to make. And I could kind of explain away maybe one, maybe two, but now he's said it four times. And so I think he wants us to understand if there's anything that we need. We're here in this life, we're hurting, we're struggling, we're trying to follow Jesus, we're trying to show people the blessing and the life that we ourselves are discovering. We're trying to carry other people's burdens as well. And as we do that, he keeps saying to us, ask the Father anything. As you're struggling, as you're wrestling, ask him, and he's going to give it to you. Now that's hard, but it's a great, great promise. Often we ask, right, and it's like, you know... God, help me with this financial situation. Help me with this job. Help me with this illness, right? And so often we ask, and it doesn't come out the way that we want it to, but I think it's important that we see, man, that promise is there. He's offering us help. God doesn't always help us in exactly the way we want him to, but he is saying clearly again and again and again, I'm here, I'm I'm, I'm helping you, I'm here, I'm on your behalf, I'm for you. And here's something remarkable he says in the midst of this. In verse 26, he says, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. So I think Jesus is saying this. You're not going to ask me, and then I'm going to turn and ask the Father, okay? So, so God the Father, right, he's, he's so powerful, right, and he's so loving, and he can do anything at all. And so Jesus is saying, ask for help. And I'm not just saying, come to me, and I'll make sure to put in a good word with you with the big guy. No, he's saying, you're going to ask the Father directly. And you're going to ask in my name, on my behalf. You can ask him directly, and you can go ac- access him directly because he himself loves you. Now, I think this is so powerful because I think in church culture, we don't even get this far, and we think, okay, yeah, I think Jesus can kind of love me, right? But the Father, I don't know if I can go directly to Him, or we think, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm broken, I'm hurting, I'm sinful, and so I can't really come and make this request. Why would God ever do that for me? I think Jesus is taking it out from the very beginning, and He says, it's going to be hard. You're going to be lamenting. There's going to be sorrow, right? You're going to experience pain, but I'm telling you, you can go. You don't even have to come to me. You can go directly to the Father because He loves you. And so if we can kind of dig into our own hearts and dig into our own minds, and we can take all these little things that convince us that, man, you know what? I don't know if I can go all the way to God. I don't know if I can really express what's in my heart. I don't know if I want him to see me that way. And I don't think I can have the confidence to believe that he sees me that that way. I want us to read these words and hear Jesus saying, the Father himself loves you. Jesus is saying this to his disciples, the very ones that moments from now, he's going to be handed over to be betrayed. And moments from now, as he's handed over to be betrayed, they're all going to run home and they're going to hide, right? These people are so imperfect, right? So much of the pain and the sorrow they feel is because they keep finding themselves abandoning Jesus and running away from him. It's to these disciples that Jesus says, the father himself loves you. Ask him anything. Go directly to him. Ask him anything. I think the worst seasons in church history have been the ones where we built church hierarchies and structures and religious schemes that distance people further from God, that don't take verses like this seriously, where you have to go to some church person to confess your sins, where you have to go talk to that person who will then talk to that person who will then talk to God on our behalf. And the church has, over the centuries, distanced people further and further from God. And here's Jesus saying, cut all of that. Cut all of that, and you stand before God, not because you're amazing, but because the Father loves you, and he invites you into that. And I will say, man, I will pray for every one of you. I really will. If there's something you're struggling with, I would love to pray for you. The elders, the staff, we'd all would just love to pray for you and with you, and, and I never want to, like, shirk that at all. I pray for all of you, but you can go directly to the Father. You can and you should and you must always go directly to the Father and I'll join you in those prayers, but it's not a hierarchy thing. It's not that my prayers mean a cent more than any of yours. It's just that simple fact that man, the Father loves you and he knows, he sees that we're hurting, he sees that we're wrestling, he sees all the pain we experience and he just invites us in. Don't let church culture, like in Protestant circles, we do the same thing. Don't let church culture distance you from God. Religion at its worst keeps people a step or two back from God. And it puts something you've got to earn. It puts something you have to clean up before you can get there. And Jesus is saying, no, the Father himself loves you. Now, here's the best words in this whole thing. I'm going to look at the last few here. Um, this is in verse 29. Oops, I'm, you know, I'm doing right. Mike, you're going to have to help me out. Thanks, bud. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. You know, it's like, come on, disciples, stop Talking like you know what's going on here, okay? Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world." See, here's the point and here's the thing. Jesus is telling us all this. You're gonna have sorrow, you're gonna lament and one day, like a little while later, I'm gonna be back with you and everything's gonna be joyful again. Jesus says, I'm explaining this to you so that you'll have peace, right? You yourselves are gonna run away and you're gonna leave me and you're gonna feel awful about that but I'm telling you right now so that you can have peace, so that you can stand before me and know everything is okay. And what does he say? In this world, you'll have tribulation but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, if you remember, if you can think back a few weeks ago, we talked about the world and we talked about persecution that's coming. And there's this idea that, um, you know, Jesus says, the world um, hates me. And so it's going to hate you too, right? And I think as Christians, we have this tendency to think of the world as it's everyone that's not in this room with us, right? The world is everyone out there. Now, what did we say? We looked at it from a few weeks ago. The world looks like two different groups and the way that Jesus is using it. It's those people that, that you know, the godless world that gathered together and said, Jesus needs to be crucified. Let's put him to death. That's one part of it. But the other part is the religious community that gathered together and also said, let's put Jesus to death, right? And we looked in, in the, the end of chapter 15, the beginning of chapter 16, we thought, saw three things that, that made us think, made me think that the world is not just the godless people outside of these walls, but it's also people in this religious community. And, it, and it's this, they, he talked about how um, their law, like the world hates me, the world will hate you too, it's written in their law, who has the law? It's the religious community at the time, Right? He says that the world will put you out of their synagogues. Who has the synagogues? It's the religious community. Then he says that people who persecute you will think that they're offering service to God. And who is doing that? It's the religious people. And so when he says there's this world that's opposed to you, I think he's saying, it's yes, it's the irreligious. It's those that don't care about God at all. It's also people in the religious community. It's easy to oppose God. It's easy to resist what God's doing in this world. And so when Jesus turns and he says, In this world, you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I think he's saying, there's nothing that can separate you from me. And it doesn't matter if it's some politician, it doesn't matter if it's some cultural icon, it doesn't matter if that person is trying to pull you away from me, and it doesn't matter if it's someone in the church that's saying you could never measure up and you can't be good enough. I think he's saying, take heart, I have overcome all of it. I've removed every obstacle, I've conquered this. And so this thing, yes, you have tribulation, yes, you have sorrow, yes, you'll lament, but it's ending in the way that is good and is beautiful. And there's that invitation for us to come and to experience and to enjoy that life that we can have with Jesus. For me, I've been thinking about it like this. I love watching basketball, and when it comes down to the NBA playoffs and the finals, I, I watch it all the time. I hate watching it live, though, because you have to watch all the commercials and you get interrupted and I feel like a jerk to my family because I'm like, "Um, hang on, I can't talk to you because the plays are happening, right? So I record it and then I watch it back later. The problem with that is every now and then there's some ding dong that's gonna tell you the score to the game, right? You're actually gonna open up social media and someone feels like it's their job to report the score on social media. What is going on? And so um, sometimes I will watch a game where I know the score ahead of time, okay? So I know, okay, the Warriors are gonna win this game But I'm going to watch it anyways, okay? And as I'm watching, I know that we're going to win. But as I'm watching, you get caught up in the drama of it. And you feel like, oh, man, we're getting further and further behind. And at times you even feel like, we're going to lose this game. There's no way out of it. But I know we actually win, right? So the right question is not, oh, man, are we going to win or not? The right question is, man, how do we get out of this slump and get back to the point where we win the game? Because I know already how it's going to end. And I think there's a dynamic that's similar to that that's in play here, right? This is a game where we know the outcome. We know that Jesus has triumphed over all of it. We know that there is life and hope and peace ahead for all of us, right? And so we live in this sorrow and it's a roller coaster of a game, right? And man, there's whole times where it's like, I don't see how God's getting us out of this one, you know? I don't see how I get myself out of these positions that I'm in. I don't see how the church could turn around possibly from the the, the cul-de-sacs and the dead ends that we put ourselves in, right? And we think that way, but we gotta remember, we know the outcome, we know the final score, and we know that he's offering us this path. And that path, man, it looks like that connection to Jesus. It looks like taking him seriously. A little while. Guys, it's just a little while. Hang in there. It's been a couple thousand years of a little while, right? But it's a little while. And he invites us in. Okay, hang in there for a little while. There's sorrow. There's lament. Take all that seriously. But recognize there is this fullness of joy that no one can take from you. And it's just around the corner. And man, I know you're bearing down in the pains of labor. But hang in there because there is a new thing that's being born in the midst of this world and it's good and it's beautiful. And the invitation is for us, man, to lean into that life and to say, okay, God, it's hard. I know I can see you promised it's going to be hard, but man, you're good and there's something that's beautiful that's coming ahead. There's something good that we experience now. I don't want to paint it too negative. Uh, being a Christian is amazing. Being, life with Jesus is amazing. There's so much life to be found in him. It doesn't make it easy. Um, and the invitation is for us to persist and to cling to him. He told us in advance what it would be like so that we could cling to him in the midst of it. So let's pray together, and we're going to sing a little bit more, and then um, we'll go from there. Lord, thank you so much for this promise that you've given us, that, Lord, there is suffering and hardship, there is sorrow and things that are worthy of lamenting. But, Lord, even as we live in that and acknowledge that, Lord, there is hope and there is joy, and there is life that we can find in you. And so, Lord, I thank you so much for that life that you offer us, Thank you that you say that you have overcome the world. What a beautiful thought, what an incredibly meaningful phrase that is. You have overcome the world. Lord, forgive us for those times where we separate ourselves from you, um, where we even try to separate each other from you um, for whatever reason. Lord, thank you that you keep inviting us back. I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Lord, you say that that if we ask anything in your name, that that God will grant it. And so, Lord, we ask in your name, Lord, please, please would you empower us Would you give us endurance? Would you give us grace? We believe that you will answer those prayers. We believe that you will empower us. We believe that you'll be here with us. And we just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.